So we're still in lockdown. We're not talking about football today, though. There's a new biography in France out about Conor McGregor called Conor McGregor Obsessions. And the author is a football commentary colleague of mine, Charles Thialier. How are you doing? I'm really good, Will. How are you? Good, good, good. So obviously you're a, a general sports journalist as well. You've been based in Dublin for a good few years. Why write a book about Conor McGregor? Well, good question. Um, you know, I've been living in Dublin for, I'd say, four years and a half now. And I quickly realized that he was probably the biggest, you know, sports person in Ireland. Um, so I started to write article about him, I'd say, in 2017, uh, when he fought against Floyd Mayweather. Last year, I did uh, a big article about him as well uh, for uh, L'Equipe, you know, which is like one of the most famous uh, French um, sport newspaper. And then I realized that, uh, you know, I had just uh, a lot about him that I started to have, I should say, to know a lot of people around him. Uh, so I decided to put few things together and um, I've sent a, a suggestion to one editor in Paris and Dave. They were more than happy, you know, to talk about uh, McGregor, to talk about uh, MMA, uh, because as I said to you a bit earlier, like MMA is, uh, has been legalized in France uh, at the beginning of January. So it is something that is like really going up in France. So that's that's why. Yeah, because there was going to be a UFC bill in France now that you can have MMA in France, but it's been on TV for a, a few years. So Conor McGregor is quite well known in France. Yeah, so it's been on TV, I'd say, for the last two years. Um, the radio station RMC, which is also a TV, they, they got the rights, I'd say, about two years ago, you know. Conor McGregor is well known. That, you know, that's the big question. Uh, he is obviously well known from a sports fan, uh, that I'm sure. Then I wouldn't say that he has the reputation that he can have in um, the US or here in Ireland. But let's see if, if, if we can find a market. But I'd say he, he attracts sports people anyway. You know what I mean? They're kind of interesting about him. So I, I've, I've got hope it's going to work. How fascinating is he as an author, as the subject of a book? Well, fascinating, you know, Will, I've, I've been impressed because, you know, uh, obviously living in Ireland and getting to know the Irish people, uh, one of the first places I've been, me as a journalist, to write article was actually Kremlin. Because when I arrived here at the end of 2015, the first event I covered was the uh, Euro 2016. And I wrote a lot of articles at the time about Robikin. And Robikin is also from Kremlin. So I quickly realized what Kremlin um, was. And I know it's kind of, uh, how can I say, not complicated area, but an area where it's maybe more difficult uh, to live than uh, have a place in Dublin. And, you know, when you see Conor McGregor coming from this, uh, probably a place where it's a bit complicated, where you can have trouble getting out of this and becoming one of the most important sport people in the world. Uh, obviously, it's fascinating, you know, so I've always wanted to get to know a bit more about him. He is, he is really fascinating for this, the, the fact that he has been able to get out of Kremlin and to be one of the one of the biggest sportsmen in the world. And he's also fascinating, you know, for a lot of things. Um, I think I was telling you a little bit earlier, like, I think he's really the guy who made MMA a sport that everybody can recognize. He's kind of the face of the MMA, the face almost of the boxing world as well, because his fight against Floyd Mayweather was probably one of the biggest events in the world at the time. 
Um, so obviously, you know, for a writer, for a journalist, it's it's fascinating to work to work about him. I mean, definitely. Um, if I'm in the Baltics or in Eastern Europe and people ask me where I'm from, the first thing they say, the first person they mention is Conor McGregor, which is remarkable. He's made a very big name for himself in so many countries around the world. And obviously, when the idea was set to write a book about him, you must have sent feelers out to him and his camp as to whether you could speak to some of them? I had sent a few emails to his press manager. I've sent as well a few emails to his uh, agent in America. Texted, I Instagram is... <laughs> I message on Instagram, we're going to say, uh, his dad. Uh, but... You know, Will, uh, I think you know that more than, better than me, sorry, but uh, he doesn't really have a good reputation at the minute in Ireland, and I, 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 I really felt this, you know, uh, when I was working on this book. Uh, I didn't have a lot of reply from his camp, uh, so I knew from the very beginning that he wouldn't talk for the book, which is not a big problem, because the idea of the book from the beginning was talking about McGregor through the eyes of the people who are in touch, were in touch, have been in touch with him along the way. So the idea was really to go back to Kremlin, talk to people uh, who have known him when he was like a little kid, then when he started boxing, when he played football, the first few fighters against who he fought before he made it to the UFC. That was the idea of the book, you know. So I don't really, you know, I don't think it's, it's important to have him in the book. Because the idea really was was something else. I, as I said, I think at some stage in his life he will release his own biography. I, I wanted to do something else, not special interview him. Of course, I would have been delighted. Like I, I I'm not gonna lie, you know. But um, I, I'm really I'm really happy with what with what we we've got. If you actually had managed to get access to him, you would have obviously worked hard to try and still keep the book as independent as possible. But in a situation like that, authorized biographies. I suppose a lot tends to get left out. That that's that's mm. the the most complicated part. Uh, I I think if he had given me the permission to give me an interview or to yeah to to talk to him or to his father or to his mom, I don't know, he would have wanted to have a look at the book, and that could have been a problem because obviously there is things that probably doesn't want um, to be in the book, so he might have like asked to delayed them or something so then I think you know it's it's a really really complicated thing to do when I had the idea of the book I talked to my editor and I said listen I don't think he's gonna talk we're gonna try obviously to talk to him we're gonna try to do our best you know to uh, maybe as well talk to his dad or to his mom or he, he has two sisters as well that would have been nice I've contacted as well the sisters they didn't reply I was like I think the main idea is very we go back to Kremlin, we talk to Phil Sutcliffe, his former boxing coach, we talk to his uh, a few former uh, football uh, colleagues, we talk to the fighters against who he fought, and we do a book out of this, which I think is maybe more interesting. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the readers think about it, you know. Once upon a time when I was working in radio, we used to be sent pretty much every sports book going, and some of the biographies, some are fantastic, obviously, but some are really, really bad and it's just using magazine interviews or postings that members of the public have put on the internet, stuff like that. Whereas you've gone and you've done an exhaustive number of interviews with a whole load of people who have known him for many years. Yeah, exactly. So um, I've, uh, you know, basically I went back to Kremlin, talked to his former neighborhood, 
talk to the people who like boxed with him uh, in the Kremlin Boxing Club uh, in Dublin 12. Um, then I started to interview, you know, the, the first um, few fighters who fought against him uh, before he made it to the UFC. I talked as well uh, on the phone because he is now living in America with Tom Egan. Tom Egan was the first um, Irish who fought for the UFC and he's also the one who introduced McGregor to uh, MMA. So he gave me as well an interview. And I've talked as well to a few famous people who um some of the most famous names in the UFC. Probably not Chuck Liddell, you know, who was big in the UFC a couple of years ago. Uh, he gave me an interview because he, he knows a bit uh, Conor McGregor. Uh, Bruce Buffer as well, who is the, the speaker of the UFC, who knows Conor well as well. Uh, so he, he, he gave also an interview, he talks for the book. And one of the founders, uh, Rorian Greitje, the Brazilian guy, who uh, also talks a bit in the book. I've obviously used a couple of interviews that uh, Conor McGregor had given over the years to like include as well... Uh, uh, a bit of him uh, in the book, but uh, the, most of the interviews, 95% of the interviews of the book have been made by me. Mm. But people were generally cooperative. But I guess the closer that you get towards the subject, then the more the silence begins, I presume. Exactly. But you know, like I, I, uh, that's exactly this. Like a lot of people were really, really happy to talk. Except from his camp, as you said. So then I know, I know, you know, like obviously at the minute it's complicated for him in Ireland. He doesn't have the reputation probably that he would love to have. So I understand why why, why we can't talk to those people. It's it's obviously it's normal, you know. I understand they're protecting their reputation. They're, they're, that that's absolutely fine. Yeah, you you can't just stop because Conor McGregor is not talking. Otherwise, you don't do anything, you know. So as you're mainly concentrating on. The years that made him, if you like, the foundation towards the career that he now has and the huge name that he has worldwide. What sort of a picture do you get then of the man? You know, a really nice picture, I'd say. If you if you focus on this, a really, really nice picture because um, you kind of understand that he was kind of already the man that he is now uh, or at least the personality that made him uh, so big in the UFC. He already had this personality when he was a, a young kid, a young lad. I really remember talking in the Kremlin Boxing Club where they were like, oh, you know the guy you saw on TV? It's the guy we had here um, at this boxing club. Maybe a bit less cocky, but he, he was really chatty, really loud. And obviously, I think the, the, the interviews that are really interesting in this book are, are the fighter who fought against him because they, they really saw something in him. They really saw something in him. I remember talking to the first fighter who fought against him, 2007, I think. It's a guy named Kieran Campbell who had never talked, you know, um, in in any interviews. Connor fought him uh, for his first fight in an amateur fight in Dublin, the National Stadium in Dublin. Connor completely, completely, completely destroyed him before the fight by his trash talking, by his capacity to be so relaxed, you know, on the ring. So I think it's fascinating, you know, to go back to these years and to see that he already had everything that made him famous in the UFC. It's interesting, though, uh, isn't it? Because yeah. I think Irish people don't like their heroes to be, you know, cocky, as you say, outlandish and so on. But those are the sort of traits that you need in boxing and definitely even more so in UFC, because obviously you've got pay-per-views to sell, but there's sort of a confidence that you have to project against your opponents as well. So if that means a lot of trash talking, then it's going to happen. Exactly. And, you know, I think he knew this from the very beginning that um, he had the capacity to do it. And I think you said it's important in boxing in UFC, but it is also important, I'd say, in America. And you know that the biggest market for the UFC is obviously the US. So 
the story of Conor McGregor for me is also the story of an Irish man in America. I think that's also why he became so famous. It's because this trash talking, this capacity to make the show, you know, out of the fight, it's something that the American audience likes a lot. And that's why I'd say he also became like really, really famous. Well, it's interesting because like I watch a lot of NFL and you will see his fights being promoted depending on the channel. They will promote it during their biggest American football games. And also last time I was in Times Square, there were a whole lot of billboards up promoting his next fight on pay-per-view. And the pay-per-view sales are very impressive, not just in the United States where they're about $100 a show, but also you know Ireland and the UK where they're about 15 to 20 pounds, 20 euros. Scandinavia, they tend to be about 50 or 60 euros a pop. So there's definitely a lot of money being generated from his fights. The interest in him across the world is quite phenomenal in a way that the UFC and MMA itself probably hasn't seen before. So the fact that Conor McGregor exists is probably a brilliant thing for the UFC. He's their, he is their ultimate poster boy, I guess. Exactly. So we, I think you'll have to double check, but it is written in the book and it is written in, in, on the internet. I think he has the four biggest pay-per-view in the history of the UFC. So he's definitely the main moneymaker for the UFC. He's definitely the guy who I think made a name intern, like on the international stage for the UFC, not only in America, but in Europe. Uh, and it is something we really, really, really talked about in the book. We're trying to explain how he did it. He's the guy who made the money for the UFC, basically. We also study a bit um, what he wrote to the UFC in terms of social media. Uh, he, he also made uh, the UFC famous on social media with all his trash talking. Uh, obviously, it is something, you know, like when he makes the show uh, on a press conference, it's really good for the UFC because then then the video goes on YouTube, goes on Twitter, goes on Facebook, and yeah, everybody wants to watch him. He, he is a really, really um, interesting character. It's amazing as well, though, isn't it? Because like when he was starting off in MMA, probably about 12, 13 years ago, you know, social media wasn't a thing. Facebook was really small. There was no Twitter. I don't think there was an Instagram. He's got almost 37 million followers on Instagram, having just looked it up now. 8 million on Twitter. And obviously, if you click in on your own Instagram account, you can see which of your friends like him. So the girl who sat alongside me in primary school, who, as far as I know, has no interest in sport, she follows him on Instagram. A female DJ I worked with in radio years ago, who, again, I don't think has any knowledge or interest in sport, she follows him. He seems to attract a, a, a following sort of greater than UFC, greater you know, from outside sport, if you like. Yeah, so there's a few things in it, Will. I think in Ireland, um, you kind of have to go back to 2013 when he started the UFC and when Ireland was just at the end of the recession, but people were still looking for hope. And I've interviewed few journalists, few Irish journalists who uh, have followed him from the very beginning and they were like, you know what, I think if Connor made it so big at the beginning in Ireland and get the country behind him, it is also because he was able to be the up of our nation during few years and he worked on it. I think was really 
aware of this because he, for example, the, the, the little song that he has, you know, when he um, came into the ring is the Foggy Dew, which is like a really uh, famous Irish uh, song, which is a song as well about the history of Ireland. So I think it is something he knew exactly what he was doing when he was putting this song. Um, so I think that's why uh, in Ireland he became so big. And then if you talked about the international stage, there, there, there's a few factors, I think, Years after years, he kind of became the, the, just the face of the UFC. People would probably don't know what the UFC is, but they would know Conor McGregor because of all his trash talking, because of the personality that he has, because of the influence that he got on social media, and obviously as well because of the fight against Floyd Mayweather. Um, you know, when he fought Mayweather, not only he made a lot of money out of it, but he kind of obliged people, people who would love boxing to watch a MMA fighter against a proper boxing fighter. So that explained a lot, I'd say. He, he was able, you know, to um, to get into another market, the boxing market as well. And so, you know, if you had the social media, the boxing market, the reputation he has in Ireland, then like, obviously, that's what makes him so big. Yeah. And the people that you interviewed in the book, the, the many interviews that you did, was there sort of a, an overriding tone? that people had was their admiration for him or something completely different well you know if you talked about mma fighter they 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 all like him because they all know that he's the guy who made mma uh, famous um, they all know he's the guy as well who brought a lot of money into the sport so they all liked him then, as the book is going to be published in France, I'm also really interested about what the Irish people think about him. And obviously, I think a big majority of the population really liked him between 2013 and 2016. And then, uh, you know that better than me, Will, the country is not really behind him anymore for many reasons. But it is also in the book. Yeah, we've talked about all of this uh, in this book, yeah. And obviously, French libel law is a bit different to Irish. So it's been published in French. Yeah. It's on sale in French-speaking countries, yeah. Canada as well. Yeah. Um, will there ever be an English translation? I, I have absolutely no idea. Hopefully, yes. You know, I would love it. I would love it. Uh, but for the moment, I don't know. I know that there is a few books have, have been published over the years in English. It wasn't the case in, uh, in French, so... As, as it's my language, you know, like I wanted to do it in in in, uh, in, in French, and if it's possible, of course, to get the book uh, translated. Well, let's go, you know, like his whiskey brand has done quite well since its launch, and it's only been out something like eighteen months. And again, like him, it feels like it's been around forever. Oh yeah, so we talked a lot about the whiskey within the book uh, because it is something that really, really fascinated me. You know, uh, he, um, I think he launched in 2018, at the end of 2018, and his reputation was already not that good here in Ireland. But even though he doesn't have this big reputation, he still managed to sell a lot of whiskey. So we tried to understand how did he do this. Obviously, it has a lot to do with the reputation that he has on social media. But it is something that we explore in the book uh, by interviewing a lot of people from the whiskey world in Ireland. Ireland is a country of whiskey. Uh, so it was also a really, I'd say, smart move from him to get into the, the whiskey world an Irish guy selling whiskey in America with the reputation of Conor McGregor, it can only work. And I suppose the thing is he doesn't need an advertising budget for it because all he has to do is mention it on Instagram and Twitter and 46 million people know about it. 
Yeah, that's why. So, so few people who talked in the book said that he managed to like, but launch a totally new uh, marketing campaign uh, just with social media. I can't remember exactly the numbers, but basically, if you had all the whiskey brands on I in Ireland, if you had all the whiskey brands in Ireland on Twitter, Instagram, they don't even have the amount of followers that Conor McGregor has only on his Instagram account. Do you know what I mean? So that means that like he can only with a little follow on Instagram get more adverts that all the Irish whiskey brand put together. Like, this is amazing. You know what I mean? This is amazing. And I think that's why it is it is doing so well. And it is apparently also doing very well in America, where his reputation is still very, very good in, in America. I know the Irish people probably are a bit more, uh, they're not really happy when we mentioned uh, Conor McGregor, but, uh, you know, I respect what he did. I respect what he did. I think the whiskey was also a really smart, smart, uh, smart move for him. Um, he did very well. That's part of his personality, yeah. yeah. Because you, you have interviewed whiskey experts yeah. for the book. I'm not a whiskey drinker myself, personally. What do they think of it? What do they think of it? Some people really didn't like it and some people liked it. Uh, they think it's that anyway, you know, it does. the whiskey does not need to be very good. The people who will buy his whiskey, that's because his name is Conor McGregor. So they want the, the bottle of Conor McGregor. Basically, he was saying it is an average whiskey, but a, a, a good whiskey for his price. For like, I think the bottle is uh, 35, 40 euro. It was like, for this value, it's a really good whiskey. Mid-market. While you were writing the book, which took almost six months, yeah. you almost bumped into him a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, uh, back here. here in... So no, it's really funny. I bumped into him just before Christmas. Uh, Phil Sutcliffe is former boxing coach. Who is his boxing coach at the minute? Who trained him before his fight against uh, Donald Siron? Invited me to a boxing show in uh, the Kremlin Boxing Club just before Christmas. And when I arrived, Connor was leaving the the boxing club, so I missed him. And I finished the book here in the studio. And the day I finished the book, a uh, few minutes after I left the studio, Connor came to do an interview here. So <laughs> I think we were meant not to meet, you know, at least for this book. Uh, I would have loved, I would, have, to be honest with you, especially this time, like when I uh, uh, when I missed him uh, in the studio, I would have loved to to tell him, listen, there's a book coming up over you in French. Like, if you want to do something, that's that's the that's the moment. I I think it would be easier to talk to him face to face than like to ask his press office, who obviously gets probably a lot of requests every day and. She's probably very, very careful about um, the interviews and uh, about as well, like, you know, not releasing any uh, articles or any book that could affect his reputation. So it's very, very complicated. But maybe talking to him face to face would be easier. You know, I don't know. Anyway, you know, like it's done now. So we're not going to change the world. But uh, yeah, as somebody who is such a big public figure, I don't actually recall him doing interviews very often. No. So I think he doesn't need to do interview anymore. You know, when you have, and I think it's really interesting if you talked about, you know, um, what it means for the journalist at the minute. It's that he doesn't really need to talk to journalists anymore because he's so big on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, that if he really wants to release a message, you just have to go on Instagram, do a little video of uh, one minute and 30 seconds. Everybody is going to watch the video. He won't have the journalist around him asking him hard questions. It's perfect. You know, social media for this is really perfect for 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 sport people like him. You know, so I I've uh, I've checked with. I think he didn't do any interview between September and January. The last interview he did was in January, 
for uh, just before obviously his fight against Donald Sewan. And between June and September, I think he did only one interview. It was on ESPN with uh, Ariel Elwani. Uh, and it is because he punched a guy here, you remember, in a, in a pub. And he kind of have to uh, apologize for apologize sorry, for his, uh, his behavior. And so that's why he went on TV. But otherwise, he doesn't give a lot of interviews, no. And I understand why when you uh, study a bit the character and uh, the reputation that he has on social media. Obviously, it really does not need to to go and talk to journalists. Yeah, and obviously, in terms of the book, I hope it's really successful. Unfortunately, the timing, you were not to know that suddenly it would be the biggest crisis the world would have faced in over 100 years and the world essentially shuts down for a few months. Um, but the book has still come out. I mean, I have a, a physical copy in my hands here. Yeah, and you know, like, uh, so the book was supposed to be published the 16th of April. Uh, so that was really in the middle of the pandemic. So we decided to, to postpone a little bit. I think the bookshop in France reopened at the beginning of May. Uh, we decided to publish the book, to release the book, sorry, uh, at the end of May. The question was, uh, should we wait until August? But if you've uh, followed Conor McGregor over the last few uh, months, a few weeks, we were talking a lot about a fight uh, in July or August. So we were like, maybe it is better to publish the book right now than at the end of August where he will have done his second fight of the year. So it's probably better to do it now. We can do adverts right now. And then if he fights in July or August, you know, have adverts again, uh, you know, for the fight. So that's 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 what we decided to do. We'll see, you know, in the next few months if it was the, the right decision or not. The fact that the UFC is coming to France, that you know, when things open up fully, that there will be UFC fights, global fights being held there, that can only help, I guess, the UFC and for however long he wants to continue in it. He's still quite young. He's 31. We forget this. I mean, it feels as if he's been around for a long, long time. But, I mean, we've seen people fighting into their 40s. Do you think that's something that would interest him? I don't think so. Like, I think if you ask my honest opinion, I think he went back to sports and especially to the UFC to keep him away for the trouble that he had recently. And I really think that he wants also to have another boxing match. So I don't know exactly what he's going to do. He's probably going to try to, you know, have another go uh, at Khabib uh, in the next few months. And then I can totally picture him have another big boxing uh, match. We know that, you know, Manny Pacquiao has the same agent as Conor McGregor. So it is a big possibility that maybe they, they, they'll organize a, a big fight, you know, to make a lot of money. I'd say, I'd say that's what is going to happen. Will he stay in the UFC until 40 years of age? I'm really not sure. thing about UFC, which I, I still can't quite fathom, is that like where we are, the fights are about 5 a.m. usually Saturday night, Sunday morning. So if I've been working on English football in England on the Saturday, there's a whole lot of people in the cafes at Luton Airport who are watching the fights live on their phone. But those fights, like East Coast US, they're after midnight. And yet, in the case of Rousey and Conor McGregor, they've produced two of the biggest names in worldwide sports. So how is such a thing possible? Like the fights don't happen on primetime TV, certainly not in the US East Coast, certainly not in terms of Europe either. And yet, we're, we're, we're talking about athletes who are, who are mega famous. You know, I'd say, like, I, I, I used to watch a lot of uh, NBA, 
it's sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning, I would get up for it. Uh, not anymore, because obviously with my work it's really complicated, but it is something I used to do when I was a kid. It is something that a lot of people uh, are doing, a lot of people, a lot of basketball fans. So I'd say if you're into MMA, into uh, combat sport, you know, why not getting up at uh, at 2 or 3 in the morning? Obviously, as you said, like most of the fight happened in America, so it's really complicated for from uh, for people, you know, in Europe to uh, to have a fight at eight o'clock or nine o'clock. So I think that's that's also the only way. And McGregor is really is really I think he's really the the character, the personality that makes you get up, you know, at uh, at one or two in the morning. Is is the kind of guy you you want you wants to see fight. It's not a big problem for them. Yeah, and I suppose actually thinking of it, if it's a sport which is mainly followed by young men time isn't an exactly, issue yeah. doesn't matter you've done loads of interviews with big organizations in france the past couple of weeks what sort of things have they been asking what's been brought up there what what interests them in france oh you mean for conor mcgregor yeah, yeah. well you know it, it was funny because as i said on uh, on rmc which is like a big uh, radio station in france uh they asked me to introduce who was conor mcgregor you know so obviously not a lot like Obviously, the people who love sports, I, I'm sure they know Conor McGregor. Like I, I have no doubt about it. But the other people, know who, you know, who would watch sports once in a while, probably don't know him. So that was the question. They are very, very interesting. Then when uh, you know, I, I did two interviews for RMC, one on the radio and um, one on the website. And uh, on the website, you know, as they follow the UFC basically writing article every day about um, the UFC news. So they know Conor McGregor, uh, obviously, a bit more. And they were really interesting about his reputation in Ireland. Who was he when he wasn't famous? And about his whiskey as well. So that was the question I had, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, very good luck with the book. Hope it does very well at the moment in the French language only. But the very best luck with it. Thank you so much, Will, and thanks, uh, thank you for, for having me in this uh, wonderful podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, w we won't be the judges of that, sadly, but uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Merci.